Thank you, Pastor John. We have been praying for Hillcrest Baptist Church for this most recent season. So thankful for all that God used, Brother Glenn, and so many for so many years to do here in this part of Tennessee. And now we are just so thankful the Lord has brought you here and you are in our prayers. And I am deeply indebted to you that you would allow me to come and share in this pulpit the Lord has entrusted to your care. I know I speak on behalf of all the preachers that are on this program. We realize that is the second highest honor that a preacher could ever give another one. The highest honor is when you invite them to come back. And so I've been blessed to come for several years and I'm deeply indebted to each of you. To my friend, Dr. Mac Brunson, thank you for touching and encouraging, convicting and challenging my heart. Uh, I live in southeast Georgia and our network television channels come out of Jacksonville where for the most of the last several years on Saturday night and on Sunday morning we would be blessed by your television and preaching ministry and there are so many times that my heart has just been blessed and I've been encouraged to serve the Lord as an overflow of your ministry and uh, I know that represents literally thousands and thousands of people that your life and ministry have touched. I'm privileged to be on this program with you this morning. Without any uh, other words, let me ask you to take your Bible and be finding the gospel according to Matthew. I want to look at a few verses of Scripture this morning from the greatest sermon, one of the two greatest sermons ever preached. For the gospel of Matthew in some way is bookended by two tremendous theological treatises. In chapters 5, 6, and 7 we have the Sermon on the Mount and then of course in chapters 24 and 25 there's an eschatological uh, treatise uh, we often call the Olivet Discourse. And today I want us to look in the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew and I want to just install myself as the pastor of whatever church you represent uh, for the next 40 minutes or so but as I like to quickly add, I'm resigning at the end of this sermon. So, Pastor, you still have to visit the sick people in the hospital this afternoon. But, but I don't want to preach this session as the fiery evangelist to a crowd. I, I really want to just draw you in close to the teaching ministry of the lovely Lord Jesus. And I want to borrow His words at least from the New King James translation where Jesus simply says a number of times from verse 24 down to verse 34, Do not worry. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin our reading in verse 24. And if you're physically able and willing, I'll invite you to stand to your feet to give honor and reverence to the public reading of the perfect Word of God. Matthew 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money, which in this case is just typical or symbolic of the things of the world. You, you need to get in or get out. Stop straddling the fence. Stop trying to toe and walk the line. Love God or love the world. And in light of that, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no Thought. We would say it like this, do not worry for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body or what you shall put on. It is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought or by worrying can add one cubit unto his stature. And why take ye thought? Why worry for raiment? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought or do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought. Do not worry for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thought. It will worry for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. May heaven add a blessing to the reading of God's Word as we take our seats this morning. You've lived long enough to know that it can happen in a moment's time. It can happen with a revelation, a discovery. It can happen with a phone call. It can happen with a diagnosis. It can happen with a knock on the door. In recent days, it may sound like this. Mama, are you watching the news? You're under tornado watch. Mama, have you kept up with the news? It's now a tornado warning. It can happen when you find lipstick on your husband's collar and it's not your shade. It, it can happen when your buddy calls and says he saw your wife's car on the other side of the county. She's supposed to be at work and swears that's where she's been all day. It can happen when you open up the Safari browser on your teenage boy's iPhone. It can happen when the doctor calls and says, there's a spot on the MRI, there's an anomaly on the test, we need you to come back in, and by the way, it's going to be nine weeks before we can see you. And in these challenging moments like this, and thousands of others just like them, a silent killer can creep into our hearts. It's known by a lot of different things. Sometimes it's called stress anxiety, it's called restlessness, it's called the troubling of the soul. Some call it tension or others deem it fear. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls it in the King's English, the taking of thought. We would use the word in our day, do not worry. And for just a few moments this Friday morning, I want to speak to you about overcoming the problem of being a worry wart. There are three things that I want to draw out of this text this morning. Note with me, first of all, that worry does not please God. Worry does not please God. Now, there are a lot of things that we do, many have been done this morning, that bring the smile of heaven and the pleasure of God. I think it honors God that this congregation has set aside a lot of other potentials and responsibilities to come and be in his house to, to study his word and to praise his son. I believe that, that God is blessed and honored by that. This Sunday morning there will be single mothers perhaps even in this congregation and you'll get up before sunrise and, and ready yourself so that you can fix breakfast and be ready to take your children to Sunday school and to God's house. And I want you to know that may be a difficult time for you but it pleases the heart of God. But there is one thing that has never brought one bit of pleasure to the heart of God and that is when his sons and daughters worry. 
So several times in this text, Jesus says, do not worry. At least twice he poses the rhetorical question, why therefore do you worry? Worrying does not please God. Now, I'm convinced from examining my own life, the lives of those uh, uh, that God has called me to minister to, that worry is a, is a symptom. Worry is a manifestation of the deeper problem that resides within the human heart. And I think that there are three of them that we find here in this section of Matthew chapter 6. First of all, worry can be a sign. Here's why it does not please God. It can be a sign of a carnal walk. Oftentimes we uh, use a synonym for worry and we call it fretfulness, but Jesus calls it faithlessness. And in the 30th verse, he says, here's the reason you're worrying. Here's the underlying cause. Here's the root reason why you are worrying. Oh, ye of little faith. That is, you're not walking with God as you ought. What we call worry, Jesus calls wickedness. Why is it that, 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 that worrying is caused by a lack of faith? Watch this very carefully. It's because the opposite of fear is not courage, not for the child of God. The opposite of fear is faith. That's why when your heart is filled with fear, your soul is vexed with worry. The problem is not a lack of courage. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of insight. Jesus said the problem is a lack of faith. You're just not walking with, believing in, and trusting in your heavenly Father. For you see, fear and faith both operate in the realm of the unknown. This is why the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who would come to Him must first of all believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This is why the Bible says that we're not to walk by sight, we're to walk by faith. The Old and New Testament alike tell us that the just shall live by faith. Did you also know the Bible says that anything that is not of faith is sin? Worry is not just a bad habit. Worry is not just awful advice. Worry is not just some genetic trend that we inherited from our mother because she always had a wrinkled brow and wringing of hands. Worry is a sin against God. How do you know that, preacher? Because several times in this text alone, the sinless Son of God said, Do not worry. Now, I know it's Friday morning. We may still be a little bit on the sleepy side, so let me put this on the bottom shelf and make it as simple as I can. When God tells you not to do something and you do it, it's called sin. When God says do not steal and we take something that's not ours, that's called a... When God says do not murder and we take someone's life, that's called a... When God says do not commit adultery and we commit adultery anyway, that's called a... When God says do not covet but our heart is full of greed and dissatisfaction, that's called a... Well, why is it when we worry we call it an unspoken prayer request? (laughs) 
The remedy for it is faith in God because as I mentioned, fear and faith both operate in the realm of the unknown. Fear, which is a favored weapon of our adversary, the devil. Fear says you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I guarantee you it's going to be bad. Faith, on the other hand, says I don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen with my rebellious son. I don't know what's going to happen with my lesbian granddaughter. I don't know what's going to happen with the test. I don't know what's going to happen with the blood work, but with God on my throne, on the throne, and Jesus in my heart, it's going to be okay. Jesus teaches us that worry does not please God, and it could be a sign of a carnal walk. You're just not walking with Jesus as you ought, but it also could be a sign of a corrupted worship. For in the King James translation, Jesus simply says over and over again, take no thought. That is, something has captivated our mind and gripped our thought capacity. Paul told the Corinthians that we're to take all of our thoughts captive and bring them into obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But something has taken the the mind and the thought of these ancient believers, and I think even some modern believers, and taken it off the things of God, and put it onto the things of the world. This is why I began reading the text with verse 24, where Jesus says, You cannot serve two masters. He's talking about people who want to live for the world, but they also want to live for God. And verse 25 begins with the word, Therefore, this whole discourse on worry is written to people who are, have a divided mindset, they, they, they have a corrupted worship of God. Simply put, a chronic worry wart cannot perform God-honoring ministry to full capacity and potential because their mind is being captivated by things other than the things of God. Have you lived long enough to know that most of the things you worry about don't ever even happen anyway? A lot of the stuff that I worry about won't matter in five years. The truth is some of it won't matter in five more minutes. Our thoughts have been captivated and taken off of the things that God would have them to be on. Worrying does not please God. It could be because of a carnal walk. It could be because of a corrupted worship. But listen, it could be the result of a confusing witness. A confusing witness. Christ says, because you love God, you have no reason to worry. Now look right here and listen carefully. I am convinced that you are never better able to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're never better positioned to be a soul-winning evangelist for the gospel than when a lost, hurting, broken world watches a child of God go through the rigors of life and they do it not with fretfulness but with faith in God. Uh, Let let me give you just just, just a story. We... We may have to edit this out of the tape, but some years ago when I was serving as the minister of music at the church that I now pastor, uh, the, 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 the choir was having rehearsal on Wednesday night, and as was our practice, we were, we were about five minutes away from the dismissal of rehearsal, and so we stopped to take prayer requests from within the choir family, and then we're going to run over Sunday's choir special one more time before we leave. And so as we, we, we you know, pray for this when they're going to the hospital, pray for this when they got this going on, I called on a lady down, down front, and here's what she said. I need some of y'all to help me. I work with the kids before choir practice. 
I'm doing it by myself. And they're about to drive me up the wall. I'm about to lose my mind. I'm pulling my hair out. I go home frazzled every Wednesday night. And I know some of y'all could come an hour early. You just show up for choir practice. You could come and help me with these kids. And I thought, yeah, sign me up for some of what she's been getting. I want to go home on Wednesday night like that. I tried to take her prayer request and baptize it. Every preacher that's ever opened the floor for prayer requests knows sometimes you've got to do that. What she means is the wonderful opportunity that somebody in this choir has to come and minister the gospel of Christ to some of our precious young children and, and students. And Oh, you're going to be blessed to go home on Wednesday night knowing you've given your midweek service to Jesus through the life of a precious little boy or girl. Hallelujah. Thank you, sister. You laugh. Is it any less odd that those of us who say we've given our life, our soul, our eternity over to Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, and yet we act like we're losing our cotton-picking mind every time there's a bill that we don't know how we're going to pay it? I thought your God was Jehovah Jireh. What's the matter with you? Or we try to tell our lost friends and loved ones they need to place their eternal destiny in the hands of Jehovah uh, uh, Rapha, the God who heals. But every time the doctor calls and says there's a little bit of problem with the blood work, we act like God's been toppled from his throne. What a confusing witness to an onlooking world. Jesus says, do not worry. Hey, he says, even Gentiles... In this context, folk who don't know the Lord Jesus, even they know how to worry about stuff like that. But you know better than that. Your heavenly Father knows you have needs and He's promised to provide for every single one of them. The wife of a well-known preacher once came into her husband's study. He'd been very discouraged with the church, very frustrated with the ministry, thought about resigning, maybe even leaving the ministry. And she walked into his little study at the house where he was preparing a sermon and she had dressed herself in the long black dress that she typically reserved to wear to funerals. She had even gone and gotten a traditional black veil and she opened the door to his study and there she was in the black dress and the veil over her face. He said, honey, where are you going? She said, to a funeral. He didn't think it likely that she would know about a death in the church family. He didn't know about it. He said, whose funeral? Who died? And she said, God died. He rebuked her. That's blasphemy. God's not dead. And she said, you'd never know it to watch the way you've been going around here acting. According to Jesus, worrying does not please God. Second truth I want you to see. Worrying does not produce good. Worrying does not produce good. Depending on your Bible translation in verse 27, Jesus asks, which of you by taking thought? Now again, that which of you by worrying could add one cubit to his stature? Now that's an old figure of speech that in some manuscripts has been rendered in a way that says, which of you by worrying 
could add any length to his life. Which of you by worrying could add, we would say, an inch to his height. Which of you by worrying has ever been able to actually accomplish anything worthwhile? Now, I did not say, nor did Jesus, that worrying won't accomplish anything. Worrying will accomplish a lot. It just won't produce anything good. Pastor John was telling me that when he first came to this area, he got involved in riding a horse. He got on a horse and it started bucking and it started throwing and he nearly fell off the thing and broke his neck. Why, if the owner of the grocery store hadn't come out and unplugged that thing? Worrying is a lot like riding an old rocking horse outside the front of the grocery store. It'll give you something to do all day long, but it won't take you anywhere. Worrying has never lifted a burden, solved a problem, answered a question, or dried a tear. Worrying has never produced anything good. So I submit that there are two things, two categories of things you ought not worry about. You ought not worry about anything that you can control because if you can't control it, there's no need to worry about what's going to happen. Did you understand that? On the other hand, you ought not worry about anything that you cannot control because if you can't control it, there isn't any sense in worrying about it. And where I come from in South Georgia, this is simple math for simple people. If you don't worry about the stuff you can control and you don't worry about the stuff you can't control, then there's never anything to worry about. One of my favorite television shows, in fact, in my opinion, maybe the greatest TV show in all of television history was The Andy Griffith Show. And uh, oh, what a cast of iconic characters we get from that show. And, and I love old Floyd the Barber. And uh, if you watch that show, you know that Floyd thought that a lot of famous little pithy statements could be attributed to either Calvin Coolidge or Herbert Hoover. And one of the things that Floyd would often attribute to the late president, he would say, you know what he always said, the weather's the one thing everybody complains about, but nobody ever does anything about. That's not the only thing that people complain and worry about, though, that they can't do one blessed thing about. Worrying does not produce good. Now, from this 27th verse, I just want you to think with me quickly about two little things. First of all, worrying won't add years to your life. Worrying won't add years to your life. He says rhetorically, which of you by taking thought, by worrying, could add a cubit unto his stature? Again, it could be rendered in other transcripts, other manuscripts, which of you by worrying could add any link to his life? Now, Hebrews 9, 27 teaches us very clearly that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. I'm personally convinced that does not mean that you have, uh, that you have an immutable date on God's calendar and you're going to die on that day fatalistically regardless of anything you do. I think there are things that we could do that could shorten our life, doing things like drinking and doing drugs, being involved in dangerous behavior. I think there are things we could do that could shorten the length of days God would otherwise give us. I also think there are some things that we could do that would lengthen the days God would otherwise give us. If you know your Bible and the story of King Hezekiah, you know there is at least one occasion where God lengthened a man's life because of his prayers. I think there are some things that we could do that could lengthen and extend our days. Eating better, 
not being involved in dangerous recreation or activity. But one thing that will never add length to your life is worry. Some years ago, a Christian physician named Dr. S.I. McMillan wrote a fascinating little book called None of These Diseases. The premise behind the book, Dr. McMillan says that he has studied various diseases that, diseases that, that vex especially the American culture. And he estimates that as many as 50 of these uh, 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 very prominent diseases and disorders, 50 of them are primarily caused by emotional, spiritual, even psychological or physiological factors. The way that God has knit us together, body, soul, and spirit. And when you impact one area of the human uh, 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 being, you, you impact the others. Uh, uh, affect your body, you affect the soul. Impact the soul and it will manifest many times in the body. Dr. McMillan reasons that if you could do away with these underlying emotional and spiritual factors, he writes that none of these diseases, therefore the name of the book, none of these diseases would exist. They certainly would not exist at the epidemic rate that we see them in the American culture. Included at the top of his list are things like heart disease, high blood pressure, gastrointestinal problems, and even I'll just graciously say, he says that sexual dysfunction is primarily caused by the spiritual and psychological factors. You don't have to be an expert medical doctor to know that if your life is full of stress, worry, and anxiety, you're going to start having high blood pressure, you're not going to sleep at night, you're going to be restless. It's going to show up in the physical body and it will take life off of you, years and days off of your life, not add length to your life. You say, preacher, do you think that everybody that's sick is a worry wart? No, but every worry wart sooner or later is going to get sick. Preacher, did you think that worry warts can go to heaven? Oh, yes. You might get there quicker than you otherwise would. The truth is there may be some dear brother or sister in this building today and your life is full of stress, anxiety, and worry. And I've come today to tell you, you might not need to go see the doctor or take a trip to the pharmacist. You might need to come down to an old-fashioned altar and spend some time having an appointment with the great physician, listen, who is still Jehovah Shalom, the God of all peace. Worrying won't add years to your life. But in verse 27, I think we also get indication that worrying won't add life to your years. Did you catch the difference? It won't make you live longer, and worrying won't make the time that you do live one bit better. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Worrying weighs you down, but an encouraging word lifts you up. <laughs> Have you ever talked to anybody that said this, I've been so worried all day long. I've got this situation. Oh, it's been on my mind. I can't get it off my mind. I've cried and I've fretted. I've, oh, and I feel so much better now. You've never heard that because that's never been said and it's never been said because it's never been true. 
Someone has said that worrying is the interest we pay in advance today for trouble that may never come tomorrow. Somebody else has rightly said, I've worried, I've had a, a lot of bad experiences in my life and some of them actually happened. Worrying never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does steal today's joy. Worrying will not add life to your years. When I was a little boy, we would go visit my granny Stone. And uh, Granny and Papa Stone, they were godly people. They loved the Lord. And I remember my granny had this little ceramic Bible. It was a, a small little uh, uh, icon of an open Bible. And across that Bible, there was a decal that had been put there. There were was was some words, a little poem that was there. Now, this, this statement I'm about to share is not in the Bible, but I think it conveys some biblical truth. But it was embossed there across that little ceramic Bible. Many of you have heard it, perhaps memorized it. You've seen it on greeting cards and bookmarkers and coffee cups. It's commonly called the prayer of serenity. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Or maybe you like the way that Charlie Brown said it to Linus. He said, Linus, I've got a new philosophy in life. He said, what's that, Chuck? He said, I'm only going to dread one day at a time. Worrying does not please God. Worrying does not produce good. A third and final thing, worrying does not picture gratitude. When we worry, our life is not a picture that we're grateful for all the things that Jesus has done for us. One of my most vivid memories of being a young father... Well, we're blessed with four children. They're now ages 7 to 17. But when, when the oldest, the firstborn, when she was an infant, I guess she was 9 or 10 years old, and she had, a, she had a, 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 an infection. And my wife had finally gotten to the point that she trusted me that she would go to the store and leave me at home alone with the baby. I knew I basically had one job while my wife was gone, and that was keep the baby alive. Because if something happened to the baby under my care, how many of you know it was going to be a double funeral? I don't remember exactly what my daughter's illness was, but I do know that the antibiotic was unusual. It was not typical penicillin-type stuff. It was very expensive medicine. And you know how infant medicine is. It comes in liquid form. And so you got the eyedropper and you try to measure it out and get it in their mouth and try to get them to swallow it. And I set my nine, ten-month-old daughter up on the counter in the kitchen and I measured it out carefully and I put it in her mouth and she immediately spit it out. I tried some more, she spit it out. I tried a third time, she spit it out. And this daddy not only saw medicine running down her chin, I saw money running down her chin. Now, don't ask me why I said this. But in one of the watershed spiritual moments of my life, I started talking to my infant daughter. Out loud, here's what I said. I'm ashamed that I said it, but here's what I said out loud. Have I ever hurt you? Have I ever done you wrong? 
Why are you doing me this way? As best I know, since we brought you home from the hospital, all I've ever done is got you up every morning and fed you while your mama could sleep in just a little bit. I'm the one, you don't know this yet, but I'm the one that keeps a roof over your head, clothes on your back, and little onesie foot, foot pajamas on your feet. Why are you doing me that way? I've never done anything wrong to you. I said that, and the Spirit of Almighty God said, that's exactly the way that you treat me. Your heavenly Father has never done you anything but good. He's always worked on your behalf. He's always been for you. And far too often, the first time something comes into our life that doesn't scratch our itch, float our boat, and ring our bell, we start spitting out what God's trying to do in our life. Now, in our remaining few moments this morning, I just want to give you three little hooks that you can hang a hat of gratitude on it. And when gratitude fills your heart, when an awareness of how good your heavenly Father has been, is being, and will be comes into your heart, worrying will go out the back door as fast as gratitude comes in the front. Three things we need to consider. First of all, what I've just simply entitled God's performance behind you. God's performance behind you. Bottom line, God's been real good to you. Have you ever been through a situation God didn't bring you through? I know I'm looking at a lot of senior adults this morning. If you're worried about sickness in your body, most likely you're old enough, this isn't the first time you've been sick. This isn't the first time that your adult child acted in a way that made you understand why some members of the animal kingdom eat their young. This is not the first time you had a bill you were wondering how it was going to be paid. This is not the first time you had a severed relationship that you wondered how it would ever be mended. And your heavenly Father has come through on your behalf time and time and time and time and time and time again. I personally love the way that he said it to Isaiah in Isaiah 46.3. I have upheld you since you were conceived and have cared for you since before you were born. Look right here and listen to the preacher this morning. God said, I was on your side before anybody even knew you had a side to be on. Before your mama's body even told her that she was carrying a child. Before she walked in and told your daddy, you're going to have a son or a daughter in about seven and a half or eight more months. God said, before your mama even knew you were in her womb, I've been on your side since before you were conceived. Moses had that truth in mind when he spoke to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. He's giving them some instruction about how they can trust in God when they cross the Jordan and begin to possess the land of promise. And listen to what he says. He says, the Lord your God is going before you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do. Listen, past tense. Just like you saw him do back in Egypt, that's what he's going to do future tense on the other side of the Jordan. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you again and again here in the wilderness just as a father cares for his child. Before Israel takes their trip across the Jordan and into Canaan, Moses wants to take them on a trip. But it's not a trip back into the wilderness. It's not another circle around Mount Sinai. He doesn't want them to take a trip back across 
the parting of the Red Sea. Brothers and sisters, he wants to take them on a trip down memory lane and to say this thing that you're worried about today and you're fretful about tomorrow, the same God who's been with you in all your yesterdays is still on his throne today and he'll still be on his throne tomorrow. No doubt the hymn writer had this in mind. When they gave us the remedy for worrying, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you're discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings and name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. God's performance behind you. Right here from the Sermon on the Mount, there's a second thing that I think we ought to consider, and that is God's provision before you. I'm talking about just looking around at what God is doing right now in your life. And on the mountainside, when Jesus gives this Sermon on the Mount, He would say, in essence, guys, you don't even have to just take my word for it. Now, we can take His word for it because we have the closed canon of Scripture. But to that crowd that day, Jesus calls creation itself to come and bear witness that he's telling the truth that you can trust in your heavenly Father to provide for you. He brings three witnesses to the stand. He calls the fowl of the air, the flower of the garden, and the field full of grass. And he says, God is going to take care of you. Do you know how you can trust in that? Look to the fowl. He says, consider the birds. Some of us just need to have a little bit of a bird brain this morning. Your heavenly Father, listen, in His brilliant creative genius, knows how to even care for the little birds. And with no apologies to PETA, Jesus says, by the way, you're worth more than a bird. You've never walked by, driven by, seen a dead bird on the side of the road and thought, poor bird, I bet it starved to death. <laughs> Creation itself testifies that God is in control, sovereignly providing for each and every one of His creatures. Someone wrote a poem about this and it goes like this, said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know. Why the people seem to worry as they travel to and fro. Said the sparrow to the robin, Well, I guess they do not see that they have a heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. Jesus says, Look to the fowl. Look to the flower. In verses 28 and 9, He says, Consider the lilies of the field. That's not just a gospel song. That's the invitation of Jesus. Consider the lilies of the field, why Solomon in all of his glory, listen, the wisest and most likely richest man that ever walked the face of the earth in all of his diadem and royal regalia was never dressed any finer than the smallest flower out in the field. And why are you worried about how you're going to pay your bills and get through your tomorrows? Look to the fowl and look to the flower. And then he says, look to the field. Now, down in South Georgia where I live, at certain times of the year, the farmers just let their, they let their fields just be taken over with bahia grass. 
And what they're wanting to do is get it up tall, and then they're going to come through at the right time, and they're, they're going to cut it, and then they're going to toss it, and they're going to dry it, and then they're going to bail it. And Jesus uses that kind of analogy and says, Your heavenly Father even takes care of the grass in the field that's here today, and tomorrow it's going to be kindling to help start a fire in your fireplace, or it might even be feed to take care of the cattle. How much more will your heavenly Father take care of you? I pastor a wonderful church. They love me and I love them. I think this Sunday, if I, were, if I had a vote of confidence, if it was unannounced and public, I think it might be unanimous. Now, if they gave them two-week notice and to vote by ballot, I'd get out by the skin of my teeth. But I pastor a wonderful church. But about 10 years ago, there was a group in the church you pastors know when I said there was a group in the church, I didn't mean a gospel group that came in on Saturday night to sing on Sunday. About 30 or 35, that's a small percentage, but they were a very influential group of people. Started causing some difficulty. One Wednesday afternoon, I was preparing for my midweek pastor's Bible study, and I was at the office, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'm telling you, I thought the walls of my study at my office were starting to close in on me, and I, I just had to go somewhere, Dr. Brunson, get a change of scenery. In our home, I have a little study. It's just really an oversized closet. It's about 10 by 10. It's enough for me to get in there, get along with my Bible, a commentary or two, and get along with God and shut the door. And I went home, and I got in that little study, and I just started doing business with the Lord and with the text for that night. And lo and behold, those walls started feeling like they were going to close in on me too. And so I got up and I walked onto the back porch of our house. And it was a springtime, late springtime, and my backyard was beginning to be overtaken by a flower-producing weed. My first thought was, man, i got to get some weed and seed. I've got to get the right kind of herbicide to, to get rid of all these, these flowery weeds that are taking over my backyard. But then as I looked at those otherwise beautiful flowers, this text came to my mind. That's when I noticed the trees were full of birds. And they were just chirping and singing. Now I know that a scientist would say those birds sounded like chirp, 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 chirp. But in my spirit. Now, if you think I'm crazy, I am crazy, but not because of what I'm about to tell you. In my spirit, these birds reminded me of this text. And though they sounded like chirp, 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 in my soul, I started hearing them chirping. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wing of love abide. God will take care of you. Listen, God will take care of you through every day or all the way. Here's good news, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. The fact that you've got a car to go get into, 
You've got clothes on your back. Most of you have shoes on your feet. You've got some food on the table. God's been mighty good to you. You want something to help you not worry? Consider His provision before you. His performance behind you. And lastly, His promises beyond you. What He's done in the past, what He's doing now, and what He has promised to do in the future. Jesus says at the end of the chapter, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take enough thought for the things for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Here's a strange piece of advice that I regularly give to people who come through my office. I ask them to do something unusual. I ask them to consider the worst. They usually look at me like a calf at a new gate. Why would you think that I would ask them to consider the worst? Because frankly, if you'll consider the worst thing that could happen, you can still survive that. The, the, the bank may foreclose on your house. The, the, the finance company may, may come and repo your car. The boss may give you a pink slip. The, 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 that, that relationship may never be reconciled. But with God for you, who or what could ever be against you? And most of the worries that I hear about from people deal with physical sickness for themselves or for a loved one. Lean in close and listen carefully. If the worst thing that can happen to your physical body is that you die, I've got good news. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus. If cancer does take my life, if a brain tumor does take my life, if a blood clot does does take my life. One day from the dirt of Berrien County, Georgia, my decomposed body will hear the shout with a Galilean accent. There'll be the trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel, and I'm going to burst forth from the grave saying, Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? And thanks be to God who gives me the victory through my Lord Jesus Christ. God's been good to me in the past. God's being good to me today. And God will be good to me for all of my tomorrows and into eternity future. No wonder Jesus says, if you'll get this in mind, do not worry. I love the story of the little family. Tragically, their two-story house caught on fire one night and all the family gathered out at the oak tree where they had designated in the event of a fire, that's where we're going to be, big oak tree out in the corner of the yard. And they all got there and daddy did the head count. Little Johnny wasn't there. He tried to get back in the front door, but the, the flames were too great. So he ran around to the end of the house and he, he looked up and there he could see Johnny up at the second story window. And the window was open and the smoke was billowing out the top portion of that open window. And the daddy said, Johnny, you're going to have to jump. Johnny, you can't get down the stairs. Johnny, you're going to have to jump. Johnny said, I can't jump, Daddy. I'm scared. Johnny, it's your only hope. Johnny, you're going to have to jump. Daddy, I can't jump. Johnny, you're going to have to jump. Daddy, I can't jump. There's smoke in my eyes. I can't see you, Daddy. I can't jump because I can't see you, Daddy. And the Daddy cried out, Johnny, that's okay. You don't have to see me. I see you. Jump, Johnny. Jump. And the Spirit of God sent me by this way this morning 
to say, I don't know what may be happening in your life or what you may need to take this message that may come into your life tomorrow. But when those times come that you don't feel you can see your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father still sees you. So do not worry.